Hi, Nick. I heard your call out for a lighthearted secret, and I have a good one for you. I think you're going to like it. I've recently started taking classes at a Shibari studio. Shibari, if you don't know, is the art of rope bondage, Japanese. Um, classes are in the evenings during the week, and I've been telling my kids that I go to an exercise class, which is pretty hilarious. I'm actually learning how to tie people up. From Love and Radio, you're listening to The Secrets Hotline at 929-SECRETS. I'm Nick Vanderkolk. Hi there. Um, my secret is that I was adopted as a baby and I spent three months in a foster home before I made it to my family's home. And I got my non-identifying information. And in that, it said something really strange that has bothered me for my whole life. I'm in my late 50s now. And it's that it said that I cringed to the touch as a baby. And... I've always wondered what happened to me those first three months of my life and if it had anything to do with the fact that I hated having my mother touch me. And yeah, that's... Well, there's a whole shitload of other issues, but... That one really still just sticks with me. Why? Why did I cringe? I was just a tiny little baby. And I'll never know. This year, I went and met my birth mom for the first time in my life. I'm 33 years old. I was adopted as a baby. And grew up in a great family, you know, not perfect, but great. I've come to love my parents very much, and we're very close. There's this weird dynamic with my adopted mom where she, you know, says that she's very supportive, and she is about the whole thing, but she has insisted that she talk to my birth mom before I talk to her, which is what happened over the phone. And she insisted that she be there when I meet her and that she go in the room and talk to her first. And I don't know what that's about. The thought of her being there when I first met my mom just made me feel extremely anxious and it just didn't feel right to me because it's my story. It is my my birth mom is my physical connection to the earthly plane. It is my mystery. So the opportunity came up this spring. My birth mom 
had uh, some time off of work and I had the means to go visit her and I was going to tell my, my adopted parents um, but it was short notice and the night that I was going to call my adopted parents to tell them I was sitting on my bed with the phone in my hand and I was going to call my mom and tell her and I nearly had a panic attack I've never had a panic attack but it was the closest I've ever come I was sobbing and could barely breathe and I just could not get myself to call my parents. I decided it was okay for me to just do it because this is my life and my story. So I just did it and we had a great week and now it's been seven months and I haven't told my parents yet. I'm still afraid of how they're gonna react. My secret is not a secret, but I feel like I'm telling a secret every time I say it out loud. And it's that I have infertility. And I feel like so many people have it and are embarrassed and have guilt, just like I do. And I have a child because of fertility treatments and I'm going through it again. And I guess I'm just having a hard time going through it again. It's hard. It's hard. So good luck to you, all moms. <sighs> if you can hear me. Good luck to me. Hey Nick, longtime listener. My secret is about the NCAA, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, for those listeners outside the U.S. I was a collegiate athlete about a decade ago, so the rules have changed a little bit, but when I was in school, I got four separate NCAA violations. And my secret is that nobody found out about the fourth. Overall, like my team experience was not good, coaches were kind of monsters and treated us like disappointing hunks of meat a lot of the time. So the first NCAA violation I had was that my mom, when we were at a race one time, got on the team bus and rode from the race course to the hotel with us. So I got dinged for that. I had to miss practice. The second time, I had to run a two-mile test and the only time I could do it was two weeks before school started and you're really not supposed to do any sort of team activities before the school year starts. My coach was there, and in the middle of my run, I got heat exhaustion and collapsed, and my coach called for an ambulance, and because he was there, we both got in trouble. The third time, I guess, is a little bit worse, but my friends and I were at a local coffee shop, and the local news station came up with the TV and was like, hey, can you say you're watching KUTV or some bullshit, and say your name. So I did that, and some school administrator 
somehow recognized me and called my coaches and they drug me into the office and berated me and said like, how could you be so stupid? Uh, you can't use your name and likeness for any sort of benefit. Like, I don't know what kind of benefit that could possibly be. I still, that part really pissed me off because uh, I was supposed to submit my thesis that morning and um, I was late, I couldn't do it. And they didn't care about that. They just thought I was an idiot. So by that time, I was in my final semester. I did not give one single fuck anymore. This booster approached my friend and asked if we wanted tickets to an NCAA Elite Eight game for basketball. And we said, hell yeah. And this is like, we really knew that this was bad. He asked us to wear our athletic department gear so that we would be recognizable as athletes. Also a big no-no. But you know what? We let that guy buy us a steak dinner. We sat in his fucking box seats and I had an amazing time. And I don't feel bad about it at all. My school never found out about it. My coaches never found out about it, but I would definitely not have been able to race in our championship and they would have been fucked without me. So fuck the NCAA, fuck my coaches. That's my secret. Yeah, I have a weird secret, I guess. Over the course of probably about two months, I did about eight doses of shrooms, about five grams each. That's uh, quite a high dose, relatively, I guess. And every time uh, I did it, I had kind of a good experience and realized a lot of interesting stuff. But about halfway through that, about, about a month in, so I'm the fourth one, I started to uh, die every time I did it. And I can't do it anymore without, without feeling like I'm dying. Uh, when I say die, I mean, I seem to no longer be in my body, but I was also nowhere else and I was, you know, kind of nothing. And, um, I haven't told my wife any of this because she, she just lost her mother-in-law, so she gets freaked out by this kind of stuff. And I just wanted to kind of tell someone, I guess. But the, the weirdest part of every time before I would die, everyone I knew, everyone I was connected to, it felt like they were charging into the room and when we were all kind of just going to huddle in a mass of bodies, even even like all the animals that I've known we'd huddle in a mass of bodies and just dissolve into, I guess, nothingness. And it, would, it felt so real, like it was happening. I'd rather not say my name. So I have a secret that I've been holding on to for a really long time and I don't know what to do with it. So when I was in college, I had a friend who was also an ex-boyfriend. Like we did it in high school and then we still stayed friends during college. Like we both went to like the same city or was living in the same city. He was in another relationship with a girl. One day we were hanging out he said, you know, I did something really horrible 
and I feel bad for it. And I don't know why I did it. I was like, well, what is it? Um, and he said, I raped my girlfriend. I think at that point they weren't dating anymore. I don't know why she was with him when that happened. I don't really know a lot of details. I didn't know what to do with this information. He kind of just like told me because he trusted me some, some for some reason. I mean, we knew each other for a really long time, but like, um, it just really f- freaked me out. And I ended up cutting him off and not talking to him anymore. Yeah. I feel kind of bad that I didn't do anything about it, but there was nothing I could do because the only information I had was him telling me this. And he confessed to his mom, he said, because he felt bad. And he said that she didn't say anything to him. That's fucking fucked up. And to this day, I'm like, sometimes I think about it. I'm just like, fuck, you know? He definitely had a uh, rape fetish, which is very disturbing. I want to, like, expose this person, but at the same time, I don't know if I should. Okay, well, his first name is Paul, so there you go. But I don't know if I should say the last name or not. Um, But, you know... Fucking awful. Okay, I have to hang up now. Okay, bye. That's it for The Secrets Online, for now. Remember, you can always leave your own secret or any other feedback you have about the show. The number, of course, is 929-SECRETS. Or you can leave a voice message at secretshotline.org. As always, if you change your mind, just call back within 24 hours and I won't publish your call. This episode featured the music of Tomo Nakaguchi, the Double O Ray, and Moss Cover Technology. Check these show notes for links. Our opening theme is by George Langford. Our end theme is by Stephen Jackson. The Secrets Hotline is a labor of love and radio, and made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. If you want to help keep the show going, you can contribute at loveandradio.org member, or if you don't have any extra cash lying around, you can help the show by writing a review in your favorite podcast app. Thanks. I'm Nicholas Sardine Punch Punch Vanderkolk. Thank you for listening.